Hi everybody, welcome to the next episode of Life Changing Conversations. As you know, I'm Neil Sharp, and today I'm with two amazing, wonderful, incredible people that I've had a chance to get to know relatively well when I did their workshop not so long ago. I'm here with Gina Holland and Debbie Beauchamp, who are co-directors of Celebration of Being. Uh, they have an incredible program, do some incredible work, but we'll get to that later. Before we even start talking about that, let's find out who they are, what they're about, and what got them here, and what is their life-changing story. Welcome, Debbie. Welcome, Gina. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for such an amazing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to, to come and have a chat with me. So, tell me firstly, what's your journey that's led you here to be sat in the seat talking to me? So, for me, um, my life-changing story was one really of a lack of presence and a lack of a somebody there. And that was the doorway for me, and that was what opened a doorway for me to really explore and come back to myself and come home to myself. So my story was that um, I was married young. I had four children rapidly in succession. After 10 years of marriage, um, my relationship started to break down. And it really, really took me by surprise. I chose a man that would not leave me, would not betray me, that was not going to leave my side. I didn't know then, but my insecurities was that I'd been left and I'd been betrayed and I'd been abandoned. So my kind of radar was that I'm going to choose a really safe man. And I did. And I married him and I had four children. And um, it was a very superficial, materialistic, unconscious life and I was numb to that I was just kind of going through the motions raising the children we was publicans in the East End we had pubs and businesses and then there was a betrayal in the marriage there was um, a misdemeanor the world came crashing down basically mm -hmm. um, I had felt betrayed and let down and disappointed and I had never had the internal resources to cope with that. So what I did is like I just literally flayed about for many years, enraged, furious. My children all got affected by that. They was all caught in the crossfire. My understanding was that if my husband hadn't have done what he did, I wouldn't be feeling like I felt. So that was as far as I got with any emotional understanding and he took the brunt of that. Mm. And it was a horrendous time for us. And the, and the most challenging part for me was that I didn't have anybody there. There was nobody there that I could trust enough to really go there with what I was feeling. So eventually um, we split up. He went back to live with his mum. I was raising four children. We went bankrupt. So it's like on every level we bottomed out, spiritually, emotionally, financially, mm. lost everything. And I was given a council flat, I was on benefits and raising the four children. And um, out of desperation and just a longing to be really seen and witnessed, uh, I found a Relate counsellor. Um, I remember her name because it was such an important meeting for me. And what she pointed out to me was that he hasn't caused the suffering. He's took the lid off of what was already there, mm. which was quite a revelation and quite a bit of pill to swallow. 
because it meant that I had to take responsibility for my feelings and I didn't know how. Mm. I didn't know what to do. So towards the end of our meetings with Sheila, she suggested or saw something in me that she felt might kind of be useful and she said to me, have you considered this type of work and holding space because she felt that a natural affinity, empathy, I don't know. And I hadn't, but it planted a seed. So kind of once I, I moved through this process, not very effectively still, I was still flaying about and projecting stuff out and blaming the world and its wife for what I was feeling. I enrolled on a eight-week course of counselling and psychotherapy and it wasn't to become anything, it was just to have a, a space and a container. I didn't know this at the time, but I was searching. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the college and there was a woman that just, I looked at her and she shook my world. And I'm going to get emotional at this point because she's no longer with us. But she was a really pivotal woman in my life. And there was something that she had that I wanted. And it wasn't about the, the academic, anything like that. But it's, I looked at her and, and felt a resonance. And that was a doorway for me. And through her, and I, I went on, I did the year course, I went on and did the three years course. Still not really wanting to become anything, but just wanting to be in a, in a space that was different to a space that I'd been experiencing in my everyday life, where I could be honest, where I could be seen and heard, and where people could really understand what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. So I, I went through the and motions. What were you feeling? Uh, what I was feeling was a deep, deep vulnerability. And what I come to see was that what my husband had done had taken the lid off of my own abandonment and betrayal issues. I'd got left by my mum when I was four or five, I'm not sure. And I'd just put a lid on that. It was like it was no big deal. She wasn't around and that was that. But underneath there was a real deep wounding. And uh, a shock of things being a certain way and then completely changing. So I was left with my, with my older brother, he was a year older than me, and my dad, and we went to live with my nan, so we changed schools and mm. everything just turned around. And what I don't remember having was um, a nurturing feminine around. Okay. I don't remember having a, a strong enough woman to just be with me and support me as a little girl. So kind of in all of that, what I'd noticed in the way that I'd lived my life was I'd also checked out. I wasn't in. So would I be crazy in saying you grew up without ever allowing yourself to feel vulnerable and then that Absolutely. kind of hit you Absolutely. with this experience? Totally. Because I can relate to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, we'll talk about my experience later. But, and I think this is something that's fascinating because it comes out more and more yeah. that, that we're growing up in environments where we're not allowed to feel vulnerable because... You know, the thing that comes up for me more and more with the work that I do and the people that I meet is it's not okay mm -hmm. to not be okay, mm. if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, exactly. And when we can get to the point where it is absolutely okay to not be okay and to be able to sit with that mm. and work through it in mm. a way rather than just burying it or just pretending like it's not happening. Because otherwise you get to the point where yeah, you're married and you've got four kids and all of a sudden like you've got all this lifelong worth of pain and grief and frustration and resentment that's been bottled up. Yeah. 
And then when you do allow yourself to be vulnerable and face it, it can literally like turn your life upside down. It did. And I didn't even have the language for vulnerability. I didn't even know that word existed. Mm -hmm. And I remember a very wise woman saying to me, because I, I am a strong woman, I've always been a strong woman, but she said to me, she said, Gina, strength without vulnerability is brittle. Mm. And I never quite understood what she was saying, but I get it now. Mm. I totally get it. And what I've come to see is that the vulnerability in itself is the biggest strength. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, you know, for, for, for the people that are listening or watching this, if any of you are watching this on YouTube, not everybody really understands what vulnerability is. And I had to battle with that for many mm. years to really understand what vulnerability was because for me as a bloke it represented weakness and not being good enough and not, not being strong enough and I've absolutely mm. you, you know turned that on its head and fully understand that how much strength could be derived from vulnerability but from your perspective as an expert in mm. this field how would you describe vulnerability to someone that hasn't really got a concept of what that means? It's, it's being willing to show up without the defences it's being willing to be however you are in that moment. And it doesn't always mean a crumbling wreck. Mm. It means to be, for me, it means to be receptive, available. Even in this moment, there's a vulnerability in me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm talking about personal stuff, my heart's open. There's a connection here. There's an intimacy here. So for me, that creates vulnerability. And what I find fascinating in terms of sort of being on the receiving end of your vulnerability is I feel safe, um, I feel empathetic, um, and it's also given me permission to want to go there myself, if that makes sense. Yes. Because often when you've got someone that is not showing up authentically in the truth of who they are, yes. then you've also at some level got your defences and your barriers up. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's an invitation to, to show your vulnerability or to show yourself, mm. let's say, because for me there's no separateness. Mm -hmm. If I'm showing myself totally, there's a vulnerability there. Absolutely. And an openness, because I'm just here. I'm not defending, I'm not, mm. yeah. Not wearing a mask, not yeah. trying to Absolutely. pretend you're someone you're not, <clears throat> trying to put on yeah. A, mm. yeah, an act. It's like just being totally with whatever's in internally what's happening. And I know we've all done this at times where you do put on the act, you do put on the mask because you're scared of showing up in the truth of who you are because you yourself aren't comfortable with it. Mm. So a big part of this process for me is actually getting comfortable in your own skin, in mm. the truth of who you are, rather than trying to be someone that you're not or trying to fit in or fit up to the image that people have built of you. Yeah. And I've struggled with that for many years. You get stuck in that ego space. People see, oh, you're this, you're that, and you're other, and you're you know on TV and you write books. And, and like... I'm trying to fill the boots that I've created for myself and exactly. it's, it's a load of bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's just an illusion. Mm. And, and actually I found that I'm way more powerful and way more uh, able to facilitate change and you know, be able to make a difference when I'm authentic rather than when I'm trying to be the person people expect me to be. And it's like we resonate with that authenticity without words. Mm -hmm. So it's like that something happens. It's like people know that they can trust. I mean, that's a lot of what happens at mm -hmm. our work is mm -hmm. people, they get it as soon as they walk in and they sit in circle with us. The body knows. It's Absolutely. Like, mm -hmm. And I can be authentic here because it's going to be accepted. And there's mm -hmm. no, there's you know, we don't put on an image. We don't, you know, mm -hmm. that's just not, we are ourselves even in our work. It's like it, Amazing. yeah, that brings a beauty to it mm -hmm. that allows people to be themselves. So going back, you're at this place where you're finally facing up to your vulnerability. So, so picking up on that part where I left, what I noticed is that I checked out. 
Mm. I wasn't in. There wasn't a present feminine um, available energy inside of me. I'd, I'd, I'd disowned that. When you say the present feminine? It's an, um, an internal availability to meet what's happening inside. So to be with myself emotionally mm-hmm. and not run or turn from anything that's showing up that I don't like, okay. i.e. vulnerability, rage, disappointment, whatever's showing up in me. So the feminine, the feminine presence can now meet that fully. Okay. I'm not afraid. I don't have to turn away from that. But my deepest wounding was I didn't have that externally. And what I noticed is I didn't have that internally because I'd been living in my mind. I'd mm. detached from my inner resources, my inner guidance. So, again, just so I've understood this correctly, so being in the mind, being up here in your head, would yes. you say is more of a masculine trait and being connected with feelings and emotion is more feminine? Yeah, I mean, to, to, to put it in that, the, the masculine is the kind of, the way I see it, is the driving force. Okay. It's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the action orientated and the feminine is the receptive, surrendered, I'm here. And this is gender neutral. This is more the energy you're coming exactly. from rather than the, exactly. the, the, the gender you, yeah. you, you happen to be. Absolutely. Okay. So when I noticed that I was recreating my, my deepest wound by not being present and mm-hmm. not being available, it was only then that I could start to show up for myself. And that kind of gave me permission to stop looking outside. It's like, if I can't do it here... I'm expecting my friends, my loved ones, my husband to, to provide something that I wasn't able to do myself. Mm. So, and it was, um, it was a kick in the teeth, really, because <laughs> I just wanted someone to give it to me. I didn't want to have to do this one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be easy, someone give you a pill and you swallow it, exactly. job done. Just make me better, <laughs> fix me, take this away. It's too difficult. So that was, uh, I took, I actually took four or five days out. I'd never left my children because of my wounding. I didn't know this either. Mm. But I actually took time out and, and went away on my own to really ground that. And it was an inner, it wasn't I'm going to go and do this, and but it was an inner call mm. to really be with myself. So that was the breakthrough. It was like my story was she left me and then the realisation was I'd left me. So it was my my responsibility to walk myself back home, really. That sounds like a, a a pretty compelling experience that obviously seriously adjusted the course of your life. It did. It, it kind of, it was a belly up. It mm. was a total U-turn on how I'd been viewing life and my perception on life and that people was there to serve me, actually, and, mm. and fix me and make me better and give me stuff. Mm. And none of that worked. None of that fixed me. Thank you for sharing. So, so Debbie, what was your life-changing experience? What kind I mean, of led you to the path? There have been a few, but, the, <laughs> but I guess the crux of it, if I think back to the first one was, or the first, I guess, major area, I was married, three children, very successful, used to work in the corporate world, um, and uh, found myself being a divorce getting divorced from my husband at the time and had three young children under eight. And of course I was doing the thing in life where it's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I've got life covered and yet nothing's gonna rock me. 
that's how the external picture, so I was still working full-time, caring for my children at home on my own. Um, and, you know, life pretty much seemed like it hadn't changed. Yet, physically, what happened was um, I got really bad acne. Now, this is when I was about 28, 29. Mm. And physically, I was just coming up in these, like, really big boils on my face. And I went to see my doctor, and she said, has anything happened? Are you stressed? And I said, no, life's, life's normal. It's like I laugh about it now. But at the time, I was so serious. It's like I honestly thought that I was doing okay. Mm. And um, I really then I started to think about, like, I saw a, an advert in, a, in our local Waltham Forest uh, Gazette or whatever it was called for uh, adult education. And there was a question this woman was asking. Have you ever asked yourself the question, is this what life is all about? And I just went, my God, that is my question. It's like, surely this cannot be what I'm meant to do, be working like a, like a Trojan and not really having any joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I signed up for this eight-week adult education course, and it was about feelings. Now, I didn't really know what a feeling was, and what I've come to see is that, my, uh, is that when we got divorced and my husband left, and he also betrayed me in that as well, mm. Um, there was a betrayal within our marriage, um, is that he effectively, as Gina just said, what um, happened between her and her husband, was he took the lid off of my childhood. Mm-hmm. In my childhood, my mum and dad had got divorced. Interestingly enough, when I was about seven or eight, that was the age of my eldest daughter at the time. So my mum also had three children, and uh, she found herself on her own. And we literally, what happened back then is, moved out of uh, the home that we lived in literally overnight so I lost my dad and I was the daddy's girl I was Mm. was the oldest and I had two younger brothers and it's like so I'd lost my worldry I lost my dad I changed schools I used to be really active lots of clubs I used to go to gymnastics dancing and they were all in my neighborhood so it was literally overnight I just lost all of that and started in a new school and I was petrified I mean I know this now but I, I mean I'd literally closed myself down and I was doing exactly the same with the divorce literally closed myself down to just contain what was really going on underneath the surface I didn't really know what emotions were I mean my mum was sent into her own grief with um, with the divorce from my dad and she'd been a, an abandoned child so she'd been fostered she didn't have parents so she was stuck straight back into her trauma so I literally had nobody, I'd, you know, overnight I'd lost my dad, who I think was emotionally present, but then my mum, and probably my mum was too, I don't know, I don't remember. Mm. It's interesting how I don't remember my childhood. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? Oh, totally, <laughs> I put my hand up to that for sure. <laughs> exactly, it's like those those things <clears throat> that have caused us the most pain, we just don't remember, we yeah. can't remember. And so that really started me on, on a, a train then of doing lots and lots of personal development work, because I realised the missing piece was around... For me, the emotional world, which for me is the, is the realm of the feminine. Mm. It's like, although although my mum and my dad, my dad wasn't around either as we grew up, but it was like I didn't have, my mum gave the masculine holding because my mum went out and worked and she earned money and she enabled us to have a roof over our head and food on the table. But the feminine emotional holding was not there. It's like, and for me, that's a key part of the feminine is this emotional holding. So consequently, I'd never experienced, I didn't know what it was. So a bit like as Gina said, it was like a re-education for myself of what did, what's, how can I hold myself emotionally and where did the depths of where I needed to go back to my childhood trauma and my childhood wounding to even begin then to heal what was happening currently in my life. 
Mm. You know, and I do see it as the biggest gift because, you know, I had three children and I do not want to pass on what my experience was to my children. So I feel like me being able to come to terms with that has enabled me to give my children a different experience. I think they, my eldest maybe suffered some of the ways that I did because I even I was absent at the beginning because I needed to resource myself. Mm. Totally. I just wasn't resourced. It's the whole analogy when you get on a plane before the plane takes off and they go to the straight safety instructions for dropping yeah. cabin pressure. Mm. Before you attempt to put the mask on a child yeah, or an old person or injured yeah. person, you've got to put it on yourself. Exactly. But you know, particularly particularly because we're British, you know, we're always like you know, let's help everybody else, and yeah, so, you know, so it's fine. You go ahead, but yeah. that actually putting our own needs first, and it's something that's fascinating, which I think you guys relate to that whole. You know, the whole phrase, it's better to give than to receive. I only very recently learned that that wasn't the original phrase. It came from a Greek proverb. Mm. The original phrase was, it's better to be in a position to give than to need to receive. Mm. Guess who changed it? Mm. The church. And why did they change it? Because they're handing out the basket, it's yeah. better to give than to receive. Mm. But the true philosophy is very different to yeah. what it was changed yeah. to. And I find that fascinating because we've got this culture now where it's like, oh, it's all about everybody else and it's selfish to think of myself first mm-hmm. and put my needs first. But until you do, how can you help anybody else? And it sounds like both of you had gone through that journey where you had to get to a point where you had to put your needs first. And having been there myself, mm-hmm. it's not easy to take that step. But when you do, it's when it starts to make sense. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it, you know, it led me because I was working in the corporate world. I was working in a very masculine world. Mm-hmm. You know, I was one of a few women amongst the team that I worked as part of so really being in that goal orientated driven place all around money and around finances and it also you know my journey because I retrained it was you know it's like what is my heart calling for it's like that was what I came back to rather than following the traditional story in a way that we're led to believe that you grow up you get married you have children this sort of romantic view that we have of the world now it's or, or of life it's like I began to see that that wasn't actually, well, that didn't meet me. It was like somewhere I was not fulfilled and it was like, what is going to fulfill me? And I realised I needed to move out of the job that I was doing because mm. it just didn't speak to my heart. And so I retrained as a counsellor and that was where I really sort of found the work that we do now. And part of that for me was I just saw a woman across a room that I was at some, uh, some event and I just knew there was just this in a call in to connect with her and I went over to her and I said I don't know why but I know I need to speak to you and she gave me a card for celebration of woman the goddess mm. and that was really the piece that because there, there is our emotional world and there's being able to hold and be present with that but it's to be embodied in that to be able to really feel it in our bodies and be connected to this human experience that we have because it's like quite often we'll have a as you, you talked about the mind and the that cognitive sense of something but actually what does it feel like in our body and that's the human experience for me it's like it's I don't live in my mind or although I lived in my mind for a long time but really the beauty is to actually really experience this life that we have we get we get a life here and to really experience that in our bodies and experience the joy and the heartbreak Mm. and you know the the rhythm of life I don't think is meant to be like this I think it's meant to be like this it's like you know an acknowledgement of what is and to be totally present and experienced and embodied with me. And for me, in my experience, most of the stress and negative sort of challenges and concerns and worries that we have 
aren't happening right now. They're either <laughs> happening in the future, because exactly. we're worried about things that have never happened, you, you know, or haven't yet happened. Mahatma Gandhi said 90% of the things we worry about never actually take place. Mm. Or things that have already happened and we're going over them in our mind and we're stewing about past yeah. events. Unless you're being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or there's some mm. you know, major challenge in the moment, very little of what's happening right now is negatively going to affect us. Now, this, this is a nice little segue onto the, the, the next thing I really want to talk to you about, which is your work. Is number one, what led you to your work, but also, you, you know, a lot of the kind of the things that you describe and kind of the, the language and the approaches that you're, you, you, you've shared uh, uh, little of so far. I think one of the challenges is going to be that, you know, that there's probably uh, a lot of blokes out there thinking about, you know, the words and language you're using. I think, you know, what's all that nonsense kind of thing? Because as blokes, we're trained from a very early age. Is, you know, pull your socks up and get on with it. Yeah. I watched my dad bury his parents and two of his sisters and not shed a tear. And his strapline in life is, life goes on, just get on with it kind of thing. Um, you know, they just never let himself be emotionally affected. In fact, the only time I thought I ever saw him ever express any emotions in the stand of a football stadium mm-hmm. where he could scream and shout or shed a tear and it would be okay. But everywhere else, yeah. he was just like, just get on with it. He was a strong, strong, strong man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I always tried to emulate that because my dad was, he, he was a he was a good guy and he was always kind of, you know, doing as much as he could to make a difference in the world. But the reality is that, you know, underneath all of that, there was a really emotionally sensitive man that never really allowed himself to express that. It's sad, isn't it? It's really sad. And we see that, you know, again, and we see the the projections that are made on men that you don't feel, you're not sensitive, Mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like to be a woman. And we see it time and time again, the men that come and sit in circle with us. They are as sensitive as we are. Absolutely. feel in the same way that we do Mm. and you know it's like men know this and they're not allowed to show that and I just find that really sad Mm. it's like and that's the distortion that we have now is because Mm. you know for me there is a need for us to become an emotionally balanced world Mm. and that for me is is you want you might want to call it a feminine principle to be more in your emotions and I think there can be fear because girls on the other hand are told to be emotional (laughs) You know, so then therefore you have the, you know, you can have women that have do have access to their emotions, but it's floundering because there's nothing to hold it. Yeah. Well, something that concerns me more is I'm seeing a lot of young girls to, told to put a lid on their emotion because you're in a man's world and you need to man up. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary for mm-hmm. me. And I'm seeing a lot more, particularly in the corporate work we do, of experiences where you are dealing with a, a man in a woman's body mm. you know where they, they've spent so long operating from a masculine yeah, state they've forgotten what they've forgotten what it is yeah. to be in the divine feminine which is actually way more powerful mm. you know i kind of knew that theoretically but you guys showed me that first hat of mm. how much more power has a woman has when she's standing in her her true essence mm. um and how also that gives permission for a bloke to be able to stand in his true essence mm. without there being that that distortion what I really want to sort of get to is how you got to this work, because you, you obviously mentioned you, you met this lady across the room and you, you went over to have a chat with her. So I just want to get a sense from you, you know, I've got your backstory. It's what got you to do the work you do? How did you end up, you know, with Celebration of Being? Before we get to actually what the work is, well, how did, did you end it up? You first, didn't you? So, yeah, so, so I said I had a, a pivotal moment with a woman in college. Um, her name was Shanti, and I bless her heart and her name. 
and through her I, um, I journeyed to India and just started my own spiritual exploration and through that I got a connection with a place in, um, in the UK where I met an outstanding woman and she was doing a course and I just felt this woman's presence, I felt her strength, I felt her energy and she said I'm doing a course next week, blah blah blah, why don't you come and I did and I didn't know what I was going for, I didn't know what it was about, I didn't care really, it was just mm. you know the next thing to do. And I just met a depth of presence and holding that I'd never experienced. And I was a bit cynical first time around. I was a bit of a hard nut to crack and I was judgmental and still in my head. <clears throat> so I retook this course again with the founder of the work. I did it with Rajan Markman and there was something about the look in her eyes and the quality of tenderness that she bought that cracked my heart open. I couldn't name it, but it was like something that I'd been looking for my whole life. It was just a gaze. It was a, I see you, I'm here. It was really simple. There was a surrender, and I didn't know it happened. It was internal. And I, I did that group. I went along and did the next group. That's where I met Debbie. But Rajo started to get sick, and she needed somebody to take care of the work in the UK and a friend of ours, Dana Edwards, she put her hand up and she started this process of, of holding space and, and getting the work going over in the UK. And then another group, they wanted somebody to take the mixed work. Well, they wanted us to go to America to do the mixed work, the, the next stage. And Debbie just asked, why is it not happening here? And she said, well, there's nobody that wants to hold space. So her hand went up. So me and my leadership style just went, well, I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> so so that's what, what happened. And we started to support um, Dana, the work, and then Debbie and Stella, friend mm. of Debbie's, a friend of ours. They put their hand up for the mixed work. And we was just working alongside, going to staff, supporting, and just going for our own process. Mm. And it kind of, that was the entry point for us. So do you want to take over there at where you came in and how? Yeah, because I, Gina's daughter was actually at the group that I did when I did Goddess. And uh, for me, it was, I saw that woman and she gave me the, the card. And it really just filled that missing piece of the jigsaw for me because I'd done quite a lot of personal development work up until that point. What was allowed at that first workshop for me was to drop into the emotions and trust something that knew better than I did. It was like something took me on that first weekend that I did. There's an initiation process to our work and it was like, and I was initiated into something that I just, I did, couldn't understand. Mm. My cognitive mind was like, what happened? And I did not know and I was in a, a daze for a while afterwards. You know when you get that feeling inside yourself where you just know something's for you, which was the mixed group work, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I needed that for my own healing journey. I guess there was something in me that knew it was that was my pathway. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I needed the work and I was going to do what needed to happen for that to to come into existence in the UK. And may I ask, was it very much more a sense of the path chose you rather than you chose the path? Definitely. 
Because I very much feel like that. I have no idea why I was doing this and why I asked the question that I did or, you know, it's like literally in that, you know, for me, I never did I ever imagine we'd be sitting at the front of the circle Mm. as we do now and, you know, guiding the groups. And, you know, that was never in my awareness. Mm. I think, you know, it was, there was one time I was coming back and questioning, could I carry on doing what we were doing? Because it took a lot in the early days Mm. when I think back, it's like our journey. We were trying to remember, it's like 12 to 15 years ago since we first got involved and it's like that journey has been challenging particularly in those early days you know how to get a group together and to get people to come into a space for men led by women that was quite challenging you know and to find men that were willing to be pioneers in that way it's like you know you hear many spiritual teachers now and uh, wise people talking about the fact that the feminine is what is needed to change the world. That wasn't happening 12 to 15 years ago. And you know, so it's been quite a, a, a long haul for us, but one that we wouldn't change. But I remember questioning, why am I doing this? Why am I you know, exhausting myself in a way to make these workshops happen? And this was before we were facilitating, this was in the early days. And uh, just this voice said to me, it's because you're meant to sit at the front of that circle. And I just, I cracked up. I just burst into tears. I was like, you're joking me. It was like, I could, could never really imagine it. But, you know, it's that thing of you saying being guided by something that's much more than we are. I, I love having these conversations because everybody I speak to that is on this kind of a path that has had this kind of a journey, you know, the context of the story is exactly the same. The content may change. Yeah. But something beyond yourself, something that you can't understand or explain has compelled you down this path. It's exactly the same for me. Mm. I didn't choose to mm. be here. Mm. This path chose me. Mm. You know, if you'd asked me like 15 years ago, what were you going to be doing in 15 years? I would have not even had this on my radar. Mm. It was only because I had a series of experiences and events that then compelled me to start taking steps into areas that I didn't even understand or comprehend. I had no experience or no qualifications or no education or no uh, expertise to be able to tread in. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's very much a case for me that I believe that when you're treading that path that leads to your destiny, the universe conspires to help you. Because mm-hmm. things happen you can't even explain. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that, that brought you to this work. What is your work? What is it you do? And, and I appreciate there's elements of your processes and the, the, your programs that are best saved uh, for the weekend. But in overall, if somebody asked you, so what is it that you guys do? What is your process about? You know, what is it that people can expect, or, or what, what is it that they'll be working on? What would you say to that? Because I obviously will share my experience of it, and that's the one thing I want really people to to, to to really get an insight into. For me, it's an unraveling of everything we're not. Okay. It's a it's a taking off the mask and seeing ourselves clearly. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, and, and in my own experience, I didn't even know I was wearing a mask. Mm. It was so fixed. It was, you know, so part of me that I, it, I wouldn't have listened to a gentle prod. It had to be a complete and utter breakdown. And that, that kind of started, the crack started to show in that. And what I see in our work is that it's, a, for me, it's a meeting. It's a true meeting, um, heart to heart, belly to belly. It's really raw and primal. It's deep. It's um, it's it's pivotal in getting people to really see and to shed anything that's no longer needed that doesn't serve them anymore. And the way we do this is through ritual and through processes and and creating a really safe container. 
because in my own experience, you could push, cajole, bully, I'm not going to crack unless I feel that a container is really safe. <laughs> and I'm using language that I, I wouldn't have used then. Mm. It's like my system knows if I can open. My mm -hmm. body knows if I can trust the person that's in front of me. Mm. I can see in their eyes if they can hold me and meet me. So for me, that's what we bring. And like you say, it's through meeting those parts in ourselves, the shadow, the, the darker aspects, the unsavory parts. Because we're trying to reach for the light and the pleasure and the joy and that it's an outside, we can, we can get it from the outside. And for me, it's by turning and facing and really owning who we've become. That the, uh, the joy and the peace that's our true nature becomes evident. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with that, that we, as human beings, naturally move away from pain and yes. towards pleasure. Yeah. And we live in a world where we're taught about polarity, good yes. and bad, night and day, exactly. black and white, yeah. up and down, left and right. But I've started to realise you can't have one without the other. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, like a lot of spiritual work is all about the light, the light. But actually, for me, the shadow is as important Absolutely. to bring balance and to be able to understand the purpose it serves. Yeah. But I've actually found that I've had as many transformational experiences dipping into my shadow as I have, you know, connecting with the light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's more powerful because it's like, in a way, the light's acceptable mm -hmm. and the rest is not. And so it's like, in a way, it's like going into the dungeon, so to speak. Mm. and to, to really, you know, for me, the way I describe, a different way of describing what Gina's just done is to say that it's to go from the head to the heart and bring the emotions into balance and, and to meet <clears> in the heart of love and compassion. But in that process, to really honour those defences. Mm. Because for us, it's like the defences which some people may call the shadow. Mm. You know, those shadow aspects have actually come into place for good reason. And because they were needed mm. and, you know, at times when usually people are young and they don't have access to many resources it's like so a way to sort of cover them up is for the defenses to come into play you know to keep us safe the masks, what we call the masks it's like for me they're the protectors they're the things mm. that keep us safe and it, what they don't realize though is that when we've got access to, to different resources as we grow up we have more life experience our brain changes we have you know access to different emotional realms within ourselves, it's like we can actually manage those situations in a really different way. So for us, it's like bowing down to the defences and saying, you've done an amazing job, mm. amazing, and you're not needed anymore. So could you change your role a little bit and become a cheerleader mm. and you know allow whoever it might be to experience something different? It's like to have a, an opportunity to meet in intimacy without those defences mm. being at the forefront. Absolutely. to stand to one side for a moment and just see, see what's possible mm. and that's where our, you know for me it's like we always hold everybody as whole and complete who comes into our work there's no broken person yeah, you know so it's like and it, but it's about bringing those things out of shadow whether it be our grief whether it be sexual distortion whether it be yeah it can be anything it's like to bring those into the shadow because they have the gold the key to actually what we really needed back then and often it comes down to what was needed what did you not get that you needed mm. and that and if that isn't that need isn't met internally mm. it will keep acting out it will keep looking for resolution with inside ourselves that's why we often say why do i keep doing that same thing gosh i've got myself in that same situation groundhog day yeah yeah, yeah. something's yeah. looking to be liberated and, and people and end up felt. in the same relationship with different people 
over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. So unless we get the lessons around that, which is often in the shadow as well. What's term shadow? You know, even yeah. then, it's again, gonna, it's creating that I was going to say because for us, there's no good or bad feelings; they just yeah. are. Yeah. And and our work is very much about showing up for what is. Mm. So you know, people can come and bring whatever's there, yeah. and we don't label it good or bad. It is. So, yeah, you know, just to, in terms of the work itself, obviously the, the two main programs are the, the Divine Goddess and the Noble Man. So what can... Actually, there is more. Okay, you, you know, I know that's the starting there. point. Yeah, I know the, the journey yeah, continues, <laughs> which I'm excited to continue myself. But they're like the entry points. So they're right. the entry points. Mm -hmm. so, so, so someone that's coming in sort of fresh into this work, what can they expect to, number one, experience, and number two, accomplish by coming onto that program? So I think our work's quite un unique anyway, and my experience is unique. It's like, it does meet each person where they're at. So we have people come into our work that have done a lot of work, mm. maybe been in therapy for 10 years. Uh, we've had, I can remember, I'm just thinking what someone said to us once, like they've been in therapy for 10 years and they've never achieved as much as they did just by coming on one weekend with us. Mm. Because it's less about the talking, it's more about the experience. And it will meet, literally, whatever you come for, you will get in my experience everyone you know everyone fills out their own questionnaires of what they're looking for what they want to receive and everyone gets that and more so the the workshop's quite unique in a way it takes everyone on a journey mm. what wants to be yeah revealed and expressed by peeling away some of the masks maybe we have people coming for if i think about the women's work looking for more confidence in themselves looking to really trust themselves um yeah, to be more comfortable in their own skin, to mm. feel less stressed. It's like mm. they come with the, you know, the general things that most of us struggle with in our everyday life. Mm. And they cut, some women come with an agenda and then something completely different pops up. Because it's like once they get a felt sense of the space and, and what's possible there. And what we say to the women, it's like coming back into circle, sacred space, sitting in a group with sisters is the most natural thing in the world. Mm. We try to recreate this in coffee shops and and it's like, but what we're really, really longing for is connection. Mm. And sisterhood, to feel it's sisterhood. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a fascinating point because you know, I live in London, there's what, eight, eight and a half million people here. It can be one of the loneliest places exactly. in the world. And we're not alone, but how many of us feel lonely? Yes, exactly. And I think this is important given the society yeah. we live in and the way that we engage and communicate mm. with each other. Mm. We don't have enough contact where yeah. people are sat together having conversations. Exactly. We don't have enough physical mm. touch. Like the all core needs mm. that we have as human beings, mm. many of us are not being met. Basic, simple stuff, really. Mm. That, mm. Yeah. And often the men's doorway, I'd say, is around relationship with mm. the feminine. Because the, the noble man really is to look at the... the the one of the key pieces to look at the relationship with one's mother because that informs all of all of a man's relationships with the feminine it's their blueprint it's, really. yeah so it's about looking at that blueprint and seeing you know where is there anything left that needs to be healed around that or looking at relationships since then major relationships since then mm. and really <clears throat> You know, for us, it's actually about the inner relationship between those inner masculine and feminine principles. I mean, the way that we often describe it is the masculine is the riverbanks, mm -hmm. and that holds the structure and uh, holds the place of consciousness. And then the feminine is the flowing river that then, then can go deeper because it's got the strong riverbanks. Mm -hmm. And so it's like to, and for that needs to be integrated <coughs> within all men and women. 
and I think that's what the planet's calling for it's like you know if we don't embrace the more feminine nature that we are we won't embrace mother nature but like with yourselves I kind of went on this journey um you know I, I, I had a great gift when I was 28 that I used to run business that I started when I was 24 turned into a multi-million pound business won the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award by the time I was 28 crashed burnt went bust lost everything when I say everything not just the money most of the people I thought were my closest friends stabbed me in the back the person I was in a relationship at the time was cheating on me car repossessed like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in a short period of time at the time the worst thing that could have possibly happened in hindsight best experience ever Obviously, it didn't feel like it at the time because, yeah, I basically had a bit of a breakdown mm. and locked myself away from the world, sat in the, the depths of my darkness and this deep, dark valley in my life. Got to the point where I was like, you know, what's the point? There's nothing left to live for. So I actually did swallow a bottle of pills. Right. And then it's only when you kind of talk about it, it's like how common that is. Yeah. But you feel like you're the only one that's ever had this mm. experience. And again, for me, when I went through that for many, many years, it's like I'm the only one. I was actually like... There, you know, it's astounding the amount of people have either felt that, tried it, or have been successful, like, you know, actually sort of taking their own life. And again, I think it's like the whole societal construct we have around people taking their own lives. You know, up until now, people still call it committing suicide. A lot of people don't appreciate why it's called committing suicide, because mm. you're committing a crime. Mm. If someone's threatening to take their own life, who would you call? The police, because they're about to commit a criminal act. So we've criminalized mm. mental health for people that are emotionally marginalized. Mm. So this again was like something I didn't really fully appreciate at the time because the people who came to see me when I had that experience was the police because mm. I was attempting to commit a crime mm. so anyway kind of came out from that experience and you, you hit rock bottom there's only one place you can go which is back mm. up again um, so it took a while before I started to realise actually you know I'm in this deep dark valley in my life I want to be back on top of the world it was only a few months before that I was master my own destiny captain my own ship you know driving around in a fancy sports car and earning more money than I had sense and you know members of the, the some of the, the fanciest nightclubs in London and just you know it was ridiculous and I understand now why the universe decided to put a baseball bat around my head because I was living the Wolf of Wall Street type existence if you've seen the movie it was crazy and like the course correction was due um and the only thing I think about is how do I get myself back on top of the world again and being quite a literal person I thought I'll go to the highest place I can think of um, uh, the highest place I could think of was Mount Everest so long story for another day in 2003 I decided to go out to the Himalayas um, to attempt to climb Mount Everest I did manage to get more than halfway up but it was William Blake that said when men and mountains meet strange things happen that, have, that don't happen when you're jostling in the street and it's, it's fascinating because I come from uh, a decidedly non-religious household you know, growing up the main religion in my household was Liverpool Football Club because my dad was mad into football and um, you know then actually going through a period in my teens where I was, I was an atheist I didn't believe in God I thought this is it um, and then all of a sudden being in the Himalayas and having a profound spiritual experience where you meet the spirit of the mountain and she's got you on your hands and knees crying your eyes out and telling you why you just had this experience and it's the greatest gift and you should be grateful because this is what you needed to experience to do what you came here to do and it's just like you know I, I thought I'd gone mad at that point I thought I finally mm. lost it because I got a voice in my head just talking to me mm. it was a woman as well it was a feminine voice um, <clears throat> and I think that's kind of for me was probably my most profound life-changing moment because it changed the course of my life at that moment i knew exactly why i had this experience and i knew that this was a gift and i had that experience so i could then do something to help other people that go through the same kind of thing mm. i was in 2003 the 
problem was a fraction of what it is today. I had no idea what was what mm. to come. Mm. But I came back like with this commitment to, you know, doing something, to starting the Stress Management Society. I had no idea what that really meant or what that was going to be about. But just because you've now chosen this new path doesn't mean all of a sudden your life gets oh, easier. Right. In fact, it gets harder. And over the years, you know, more challenges were presented, you know, I... But the, 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 the person I was in a relationship with when everything went wrong, I forgave her because I was the only part of my old life that I was still holding on to. And we ended up getting married and we had this turbulent relationship for many, many years. But I, through that period, I realized that actually I can only help other people if I help myself. So I went through this whole journey of exploration of personal development, doing all kinds of different courses and traveling around the world and spending thousands and thousands of pounds on courses and education. So I could learn and help myself so I could help other people. And that journey continued for many, many years until my relationship broke up in uh, 2012, uh, finally after. It should have happened many years before that, but I held on for as long as I could. And when that happened, that, that's when my journey really, really deepened. So during that period, I'd done a lot of work around the relationship with my mother because I realized a lot of these templates were from childhood, uh, you know, the fact that I was bullied, low self-esteem, low confidence, that putting on this external image just didn't match up the internal. Externally, an extrovert, internally like a shy little scared boy. And then going through this kind of whole journey, um, which led to the relationship breaking up and then... Yeah, then really having to face up to that. And the first thing that, that presented itself for me was to, to go off and do a Vipassana, which is like a 10-day silent meditation retreat, which is like, yeah, I need some time to get to know myself and really connect myself deeply. Scariest fucking thing I've ever done mm. in my life. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. Spent the first, it's a 10-day course, spent the first five days thinking about food and sex and nothing else. Mm. It was just like, where's the enlightenment? Where's the spirituality? <laughs> Um, but that then journey continued to doing shamanic work, to doing all kinds of different things and exploring kind of different pathways to lead to the same place, which is connection with self. And that led up right until the end of last year where I kind of had had a bit of a turbulent time, but at the end of last year, I felt like I was in a really good place. It was this time last year, and I was like, I feel great. So I was like, I'm gonna celebrate, I'm gonna go on holiday, I'm gonna go off to Iceland, I've always want to see the Northern Lights. So this is a point where it's just like, yeah, everything's great. Went to Iceland, having a fantastic time. And the night I was going to see the Northern Lights. And so this is like New Year's Eve, or day before New Year's Eve. And I was just honestly having one of the best holidays of my life. It's just an incredible place, Iceland. And we were on this tour bus on the way to see the Northern Lights, and the bus got into an accident. And I broke my back. Wow. Um, I was the only person on the whole bus that got injured. Everyone else was fine. Um, and literally I kind of, yeah got wheeled off in an ambulance, couldn't move my legs, absolutely shitting myself that I'd never walk again, morphined up to the eyeballs. Three days later, got air ambulance back. And I was like, what, how, where did that just come from? And I got back and um, three days later, my dad was taking me somewhere. My dad's a great driver. And he hit a traffic island, like, he didn't see it. He was like, you know, my dad's one of the best drivers I know. I was like, okay, this is strange. And then a couple of weeks after that, I got into another bit of a, an incident where I twisted my knee and was hobbling around for weeks. Then I was pulling out my driveway three months later, another major accident, like someone speeding down the road, smashed my car into another car. I was like, okay, this is more than a coincidence. And I did another Vipassana and a few other things happened. And then I got a skin infection and I ignored it for ages. It's like, it's just a rash. And it got to the point where I was like open bleeding sores. And I went to the hospital and I was like, you're lucky you came here today because this would it was it was um 
a staph infection, which if I'd left it any longer, it would have become infected and it could have killed me. Mm. So I was like, okay. Mm. So then this kind of, this, this, this was continuing. I was like, okay, what, what's going on here? Now, what, the, the backstory is just when I was starting to have this experience mm. before I went away to Iceland where things were getting good, uh, a friend of mine, Andrew, had been to your workshop September of last year, um, uh, sort of the year before. <clears throat> And he told me about it, and he's like, Neil, you have to go. And it's like, okay. So I signed up for it, and I remember sort of communicating with you guys, and then forgot about it, because it was, couldn't get on the one in April, so it was like, October. I was like, ages away. So didn't even think about it. So then I kind of had this experience, um, and then uh, the summer progressed, and I had some, some other kind of random experience in the summer, and then um, I remember I was away for a week on a retreat in Wales, and I got back, and the day I got back, it was the 31st of August, and... Uh, England were playing Malta uh, at Wembley Stadium. My dad was watching it. So it was the 31st or 1st of September, I can't remember the exact date. Um, so I went round, because uh, I was with my dad and mum at the time, so I just went round and watched the game with him. We sat down and watched the game. Uh, we had a lot of fun, had a bit of a laugh. He was in high form, good spirits. And then went home. Three hours later, I get a phone call from my mum. It's like, shit, you better come around. Something really bad's happened. I was like, I don't know what happened. My dad basically had a brain hemorrhage. And it was just like, it was just like, hold on a minute, I went through all of this challenge and all this hardship to get to a good place and it's just literally just like someone's just hacking away over and over again. And so anyway, like we went through two weeks of him being really poorly and then, um, yeah, sadly, like we got to a point where we realised he wasn't going to recover and we had to turn the machine off, which was even harder than him just mm-hmm. dying because I felt like I had to take responsibility mm-hmm. for the fact that I had to make the choice choice to end his life, even though that it was the right thing to do. And that was September the 16th. That was literally a few weeks before your course. And up until that point, you know, at first I hadn't thought much about it. Then earlier in the year, I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm looking forward to this. And it got to a point that's like, I so don't want to do this. I'm so not in the right place for this at all. Because, yeah, and I, I didn't do what my dad would have done or other people had done. Like when it happened, I did allow myself to express my emotion and I spent a lot of time like breaking down and crying and I was okay with that and then you know this came up and the week before I remember just feeling like I, I can't do this I've had so much time off work I'm not in the right headspace I'm angry I'm frustrated it's just like you know I don't need this right now I'm not ready for this and I had a headache and I was every excuse resistance I really resisting this but I was obviously coming with uh, one of my really good mates, uh, Daniel, and he was like, Look, Neil, I'm the same, but we just got to do it, we just got to do it. And he'd really got the ferry, so I was like, okay. And I came there and I was like, number one, I'm not sure if I wanted to be there. Number two, I was a little bit resistant. Uh, and number three, I just felt that a lot of the work that I expected to do, I thought I was right with it. So it's just like, you know, like, why am I actually here? And also, based on, you know, I know quite a few people that have been uh, through through your course now. Uh, so Andrew and Joanna and a few other people that I've spoken to over time. And um, uh, Pav, who's one of your facilitators, I know very well because we've um, uh, assisted other retreats together. So, it, it, you know, that through the people I've spoken to, I had an expectation of what might happen. But I also had an expectation of... Of yourselves and like <laughs> forgive me I'm gonna be perfectly candid here because I'd kind of built with this image in my head of what you might be like and I remember turning up and I was like really <laughs> and forgive me I don't say that with any kind of disrespect but you were so different to how I expected you to be so I kind of turned up first night and I was like all right and then then it was like all right we're here 
you know, I'm just gonna just just go with it, whatever it is. Let's like, just be present, you know, do everything you practice. And there were a few times I was just like, not physically, but emotionally thinking about sort of running away and just checking. I'm really good at that. Mm. I'll play the part. Mm. I'm here, but I'm not really. Mm. And I could do that really well. But there's something about that circle and the space and the energy you created where all of the stuff, all the experiences, all the things that I'd faced, all of a sudden just all came together in that moment. And I was faced to, to, to sit with it, to be present with it. I remember starting to feel that the first night. And then it was the second day, there was a, a process where I started to realize that through my whole life, I've never really allowed myself to feel safe. I put this mask on. And it's, it's interesting you were talking about the mask, Gina. The mask was so deep, I didn't even know it was a mask. Like I'm not taking a mask off, I'm taking my face off. Because mm -hmm. that's how deeply embedded and how attached it was to mm -hmm. me. And the pain of actually being able to remove it was incredible. And opening up boxes filled with emotion that I didn't even know was there. Mm -hmm. It was so deeply buried. Because you know, any bloke that's listening will understand that we do things in boxes. You've only got one box open at a time. If you're watching football, you're watching football. You can't think about anything else, do you know what I mean? If you're kind of eating your food, that that's it. You can focus on the one thing in front of you and anything else is really difficult. And sometimes because we've got these boxes that we're used to opening, you know, we're fine. We can open that box, we can deal with it and put it away. But there are some boxes that we never open. And after a while they get covered in dust and they mm. get things laid on top of them and then you forget they're there. And some of those boxes opened for me. Um, and the first day was, uh, you know, some of the processes that we did with Eugene. And I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know, to this day I don't know what it was. But I know that it was deep. And I felt things that I'd never felt before. And I'd like to think, given the work that I do and who I am as a person, that I allow myself to go into emotion. I'd like to think I'm quite sensitive mm -hmm. and empathetic because I have to be with the work that I do. But a whole nother level. And then the, the, the next day with the big process, it was just... I can't even begin to describe the kind of things that, 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 that came up. And... And it's amazing for me how many people in life, myself included, go through life not feeling enough, mm -hmm. not feeling worthy, mm -hmm. not feeling loved, and not feeling safe. And ultimately, it's kind of core fundamental mm -hmm. human needs which we don't get met. That's often what we talk about is the fact is that I think that that's one of the gifts of the circle and the space is that for whoever it is, it will be a different, slight, have a slightly different flavour mm. or essence to it, but it is about being met in a way that you've never been met before. Mm. And you, in a way, you know it's missing, but you don't know what it is because you've never experienced it. We don't know what we don't know. No, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, the sort of, that's why it's really hard to explain. It's like when we, when we, you know, people ask us that question often. And it's, you know, and the best thing is, it's like you, you, Something inside of you knows exactly what you need and that is recreated because you're authentic in the moment and you get to receive what you, in a way, what you've always longed for. Yeah. And, and for me, what happens is like once I recognise it on the outside or I've had a felt sense of it internally, it's like, that's what safety feels like. That's what tenderness feels like. That's what being met feels like. Mm. Like where I'd never experienced that, I didn't have, I did, I didn't have an internal resource to kind of name it, mm. but I recognised it in an instant. Mm. And, and then you like, can give it to yourself. Yeah. Because now you've experienced it, it's like then you've got that whole 
level of holding inside yourself. And then that allows literally all of the stress and defences that are there to, to try and protect, they just fall away. So just because they're not soften, needed. Yeah. It. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just I I wanna say I just felt really touched by what you shared mm. and the level that you allowed yourself to be received and met now and, and as you were speaking I was reminded of being with you in circle and I just felt really touched by your sharing. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much again for the wonderful work you do and also, you know, for allowing me to feel safe enough to face up to my pain and you know, that it's it's a powerful thing and that's one of the things I wanted to discuss with you is it's something we're all scared to do. The the power of facing up to our pain and you know the, the frustrations and grief and anger that we bottled up and why that's so important and for you in your experience what you know why is that something that we do need to, to consider and, and and taking this away from that kind of whole new age hippie mm. thing of like mm. oh, let's face our pain you know let's sit in circle and hold hands and sing kumbaya because it's not that at all no. it's interesting because i wanted to acknowledge you for your love for your father mm. because i really feel that your love for him and your gratitude for him and for me it's the other side of that it's like without us really acknowledging the grief and the loss really it's love it's the other side of the coin of love it's like we to truly love somebody means that at some point there is likely to be pain in whatever way that may manifest itself so it's like when we love deeply the other side to love deeply it's like we need to acknowledge the pain that is likely to be the other side of that as well and it's like for me you don't it's like this thing you can't have one without the other it's like it's uh, for me the the pain is a byproduct if we allow ourselves to really experience the grief, the loss, the missing somebody, the love that you felt for them, the regrets for the times that maybe you didn't give them your whole <coughs> self. It's like then you, it's like you will not f- experience the love and joy that's on the other side. Yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely agree, and I found that actually, it's through some of the biggest heartaches that the biggest opportunities for growth come and it's if you allow yourself to heal mm-hmm. and that's the key mm-hmm. thing because if you've broken your leg and you keep running on it and keep stamping on it and jumping around it's never going to heal yeah. and if you allow your heart to heal genuinely from the heartaches of experience in my life it does heal stronger than it was before mm-hmm. you had that experience and often the healing comes in the feeling yeah. of whatever that might be yeah. in, in all of its many layers mm-hmm. and it's like and sometimes for me can't always name <laughs> the feeling that's there but I just, it's there. Mm. It's like it's the—it's what's coming through and what's wanting to be felt and what's wanting to be embraced by me, actually, and liberated. Because it's in the feeling it gets liberated somewhere and I feel cleaner and fresher, in a way, cleansed by that process. Mm. Mm. And, and, and talking about the cleansing and clearing and bringing it back to being really grounded, my main, my main love is being a mother and a grandmother. Mm. It's my deepest passion. And this work and these circles keep me clear. It keeps me clean so that I can feel nourished and resourced and energised and alive and go back into the home and bring that into my family. Mm. And not separate, because it's like in the beginning it was like, oh, I want more of this and I want to feel this. And, and for me there's no separation now. It's, you know, it's become integrated that I, I'm not different when I step into the circle as when I step into my kitchen. I'm here, I'm present, I'm available. And that is a really interesting lesson for me too. Because, you know, when I step into my circles or where I'm speaking at a conference or where I'm doing this, that, the other, or I'm on TV, 
for years I was playing a role, mm-hmm. like I was mm-hmm. doing what I needed to do mm-hmm. in that instant. And then in other areas of my life, I'll be a different person. But again, that level of authenticity, whether I'm in the office or whether I'm with a client or yeah. whatever I'm doing, I'm able to do it from the same space and able to talk as freely and openly from my heart, yeah. regardless of what platform I'm on. Mm. And that, that it goes back to that mask. It's, it's yeah. not often one mask. We often have various masks depending on what role mm. we're playing. Mm. Yeah. Who we're with, what the situation uh, is. It's... Absolutely. Mm. So... I appreciate that, you know, there are lots of people that are listening and many of them may be different parts of the world that may not necessarily be able to access um, the, the work that you do directly in person. We'll talk about that in a second. But what's kind of, you know, the key bits of advice, like the, the takeaways that you would suggest for people that are listening right, right, now, right now and are really sort of compelled by everything you said that really are inspired by kind of uh, the conversation we've had. What are the key things that you would encourage people to do or incorporate into their daily lives to bring about that balance and to be able to step more into authenticity? I would say to be themselves. And what does that mean? It means to be genuine with themselves first off and and to be able to feel what they feel. And if they're not able to do that, to ask for support. For me, the biggest learning has been to reach out and ask for support and to know that I'm not meant to do this on my own. And even in the asking, it's not about even getting something. It's being willing and humble enough to say, I can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And it's like that that creates a shift internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not meant to. We're social beings. We're not meant to sit and suffer. I've been a, I spent a lot of my time being a lone warrior, thinking yes. I could only do this by myself and not being willing to yeah. put my hand up or reach out yeah. for support. And so. there's a humility and there's a, a surrender in saying... Could you be with me? Mm. So for me, it's like to just really be genuine inside and ask for support if you need it and know that we are absolutely not meant to do this on our own. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I, what I was just, uh, what was coming to mind for me is to, if we can trust that life is for us and mm. life is to serve us and with whatever is happening right here, right now, it's to say, if this is for me, what might this be about for me? And just really... You know, I really trust people's innate wisdom. And it's like often we're we're not taught that. We're not taught to go inside and maybe just sit in nature. Nature brings me Mm. anyway, certainly I speak for myself, brings me back home. Just to to know that life has actually got things covered. It's like, if this was for me, what could this be about? And just to really look inside and just really, and as Gina said, seek out support of like-minded people. It's, you know, it's easy to get drawn into this drama of life and the mm. story. If we stop the story for a moment and just say, if it's a repeating pattern in particular, what could this be about for me? What do, where do I need to, if this is a repeating pattern? It's like there was something that came up earlier and I just wanted to ask the question because for me it's like often looking at life as a mirror. Mm. It's like if I'm accusing somebody out there of not doing something for me, is there any way inside of myself that I'm not doing that for me? It's like, you know, if someone's not speaking up for me, where am I not speaking up for myself? And just looking to see, like, how can I use this moment and just be with what is as well, just to really just nurture and take care and just bring the love back to oneself, I think, would also be a thing of just self-love for me is and compassion even when I do make mistakes, is to come back to actually I'm just a human being Hmm. doing the best that I can in this moment and to be compassionate with myself. Amazing. So if people want to find out more, 
if they are interested in finding out about details of the workshop or dates you've got coming up or even booking on, how do they do that? So the best place is our website, I guess, mm -hmm. which is celebrationofbeing.co.uk. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just to see when our groups are, we're doing some online stuff, or I'm doing some online stuff now, which gives this gives the women's work in particular access to people who are not necessarily in this country. Because although we run most of our groups here in the UK, we're doing them in Switzerland now as well. And we've got a community that's growing, and uh, we just like to give them access to what's happening. And you know, there's technology is an amazing thing like this. It's like mm. who would ever imagine that you know. This will go out to however many people and they'll get to find out about the work. Um, so yeah, celebrationofbeing.co.uk. Right there. But Neil, can I just take the opportunity to thank you for inviting us and for following through and, uh, and really the work that you do for men. I feel really touched because I know men need this work just as much as women do and we see that in every single group that comes our way. And I just know that you're saving people's lives and that for me is beautiful. Yeah, and, and thank you so much, guys. So, you know, appreciate you taking the time to come here today. And I hope we can get you back on again at some point in the future. Yes. There's a few things that I'd like to pick up on and probably have a separate conversation on that alone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, once again, thanks for joining us today. And I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.